Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, how are you doing tonight? And keep it brief because, boy howdy, we got someone else on the show this time. I know, we finally have another guest. I think we've now done like four or five episodes back-to-back with just you and me. And to be honest, Lyndon, I was getting a little tired of your company, so I'm glad we have someone to buffer us a little bit. Uh, I was not, but I'm glad that I know how you feel now. (laughs) Honesty is the best policy, and, you know, even if it hurts me very deeply. And it does, Matt. You know, sometimes, Lyndon, I just say things to bust your balls a little bit. Honestly, I love every minute we spend together. They need busted from time to time. They do, absolutely. You know, he's he does have a large ego occasionally. You gotta pop that bubble every Wait, once whoa, in a while. who are you? How'd you get on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know who that is. We're gonna introduce him later. Ladies and gentlemen, no, I'm gonna introduce him now. Okay, fine. I'm excited for this. I'm super excited as well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome onto the podcast a a personal, long-standing family friend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mike, a.k.a. The Detective. Mike, how you doing tonight? I'm excellent, Linda. I'm happy to finally be on the show after two seasons of you not asking me to be here. <laughs> so uh, there's a little bit, I feel there's a little barb in there somewhere, maybe a little bit of uh, offended uh, pride. I mm. feel, look, as long as, look, talking about our feelings here, I feel... <laughs> that I did not do the thing that you're accusing me of doing in in asking you to not be on the podcast. And not asking him to be on the podcast. It's a fact, though, that he has not asked me. That's true. It is a total fact. So really, he did do what you are accusing him or did not do what you are- I still love him either way. I mean, we we do. But I am very happy to be here. Very excited. So um, just (laughs) obviously we have quite, you know, we have a wonderful rotating cast of- um, notable figures from the Zelda and Nintendo community who are on the podcast quite a lot. Um, but you know, whenever I was starting this up for the first time, one of the things that I told myself I was very excited about being able to do was occasionally bring on good friends who just, uh, who I happen to know I can enjoy talking about Zelda with. And, um, and, and Sir Mike definitely falls under that umbrella. This guy and I, we go way back, uh, roommates in college and then very good. I mean, how long ago was that? That was in 2008. So, I mean, a little while. Little you're while. coming up on, t- uh, 10 or 11 years because my five year college graduation anniversary was, uh, this so, year. So, roommates in college, now, uh, now, neighbors. now neighbors. <laughs> yeah. We live on the same street, basically. Yeah. Have kiddos in a strange twist of fate. Yeah. yeah just, I mean, Stayed in each other's lives very much. Count you truly one of my best friends in the entire world. Um, this guy and I, we have a, a basically weekly stogie and whiskey night where we uh, are happy to just sit down and shoot the breeze about whatever uh, nerd crap might occur to us. And frequently that ends up being Zelda. So, um, y- you know, I just felt like our listenership, Matt, really deserved to get a window into that dynamic and 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 and, and you know, just get a little bit of that. You know, we have sibling banter, you and I. For sure. But what about friend banter? I don't know that we've ever had that on the show before. We have yet to have a close family friend. I mean, obviously, we've had friends on the show. We consider Kylie and Sam and Max to be friends now. But we have yet to have a 
longstanding close family friend other than Jackson, but that's again sibling banter. Pretty sure he's family. Are you downgrading yeah, exactly. Jackson to friend status? No, but I'm, look, all I'm Jackson, saying is, guys, personal. you should take that as an attack. Well, we all know and this is an inside Willoughby family joke that you're not part of the family once you go away to college. You have to re-earn your entry into the family once you come back. So uh, um, he has done that at this point, but again. We've had the three-way sibling banter. We have yet to add in the uh, the friendship banter. So. I hear banter it up. You know what? It's a hard, hard, cruel rule, but uh, it breeds hard, cruel men. So <laughs> tough <laughs> men. Yeah. Um, we'll go with that. Top men. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, um, Mike. Obviously, like I said, friends going way back and to everyone listening we this is not about to become the uh the sacred realms friend and family podcast uh we are going to have some of our regular cast reappearing very soon next week we are pleased to welcome sam o'neill nintendo fangirl back on the show to cover the Lanayru mining facility which um personally i'm actually very excited to talk about that section of the game and always excited to talk to sam today however we are covering a different section of skyward sword before we get into that Mike, every time we have a new guest on the show, I give that guest a few minutes to just tell us um, a few things about their own personal history with Zelda. And usually that ends up being what games have you played? Uh, How did you get into Zelda in the first place? What games are your favorite and which ones are your least favorite? So in any order that you like. Okay, I I knew this was coming because I've I've listened for two seasons and I should be more prepared. But um, so... My journey with Zelda began uh, much like Matt's probably with Ocarina of Time on the old 64. Mm-hmm. And I played the absolute crud out of the game. Maybe you won't bleep that one. Um, so, yes. I shan't. Ah, good. <laughs> but no, I loved uh, Ocarina of Time. Um, I pronounced it Orcarina for a... Uh, a good long portion of my uh, career. Or- orc <laughs> as in like J.R.R. Tolkien orcs. I stand by my pronunciations. <laughs> I mean, this coming from the guy who pronounced Navi Navi. So like, look, yeah, you I mean, talk, bro. Well, if there's one thing that I've learned in two seasons of recording this podcast going on three, it's that you can choose your family. Or sorry, you can't choose your family. You can choose your friends, but uh, you can't choose how people pronounce things in their entire history of playing Zelda. And you certainly can't disqualify people from being on this podcast because of it, because then we would have no freaking people on this podcast. So. <laughs> or I guess mostly we just wouldn't have Matt on this podcast. Hey, that's rude. <laughs> I've done pretty well other than the Navi incident. Okay. I'm just like another Gorgon on this section of the podcast. Yeah, what, what was it? It wasn't Ocarina and Gorons. It was Orcarina and Gorgons, right? I mean, look, you're injecting both Tolkienism and Greek mythology into Zelda. So, like, I can't totally fault you I mean, for I that, feel like they, they awesome. probably had an impact on this game in some shape uh, or form. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> you got to believe Lord of the Rings entered into the, like, development consciousness at some point. Okay, so you started off with Ocarina of Time on the N64, and where did you kind of go from there? What have you played other than that one? Uh, So 64 was pretty much my console uh, for most of the time. I was big into Majora's Mask, uh, Ocarina of Time. I did love Wind Waker, and I would put it at the top of my list for quite some time. Kind of jumped off. Whenever we were in college, I played Twilight Princess with you there for a while, um, I did not play Skyward Sword at all until it came out for the Switch, and I have just jumped in. So I'm a, a novice 
to the Skyward, but I'm loving it so far. Because so Skyward Sword came out when we were in college, and we actually, I mean, we were a pretty pretty big gaming household. It was it was um, it was you and I, and then our friend Adam all together there, and we had lots of consoles, but we didn't have a house Wii. No, I feel like that's the kind of thing I could have sat down with a jug of wine and really. Really taken care of. <laughs> yeah, you you were big into that jugged wine back in college. Now we've all graduated to a little bit yeah, uh, there's more, nothing, more good tasting liquor. Nothing nothing college Mike liked more than a $14 two liter jug of wine. <laughs> oh my God, this that makes me sick a, thinking a, of it. A stupid amount of Call of Duty and... <laughs> oh yeah. And Halo Reach. Oh dude, we played so much Reach because I was still in high school at that point. I remember I would get home from school most days and you would be online and we would get on and we would do Reach together. Yes. And I could always tell if you'd been drinking the jug of wine or not. And I was like, ah, Mike's in a good mood. Okay, so <laughs> it is, so just so we're keeping track, it is Ocarina Majora, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess, um, Breath of the Wild. Yep, Breath of the Wild. Ha, yeah, mm, love it. Um, Link's Awakening. You you had me get the Link's Awakening remaster and actually talked me into that game. Um, I was very much like Matt, and not that I wasn't interested in top downs, but I never had a handheld device until college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never played any of the handheld Zeldas. And then whenever you told me the remaster was coming out and that it was worth the time, I uh, decided to take the leap, and I thoroughly enjoyed that game. Cool. And now we move forward with Skyward Sword HD. Indeed we do. As of um, as of right this moment, of those games you listed, which one do you think that you enjoyed the least if you had to pick one? Okay. So it, taking the nostalgia goggles off for a sec, because I still put Ocarina up at, at least my top three of favorite games. Um, but objectively speaking, in terms of enjoyment, uh, and challenge, I think that my top five would would have Breath of the Wild at the top. Um, a man of culture, I see. <laughs> just because I agree with you. Um, and then it, it's hard to rank after that, but of the ones I've played, I would put Twilight Princess at the bottom. Uh, a man of culture, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, See, we bring people on who agree with us sometimes. We've had a fair number of people on who disagree with us on that quite strongly, but look at that. Yeah. We have another we have another entry. <laughs> well, I mean, for all the for all the common ground we're finding right now, it's just preparing you, Matt, for um like like you've you've got to soak this all up now because a day is gonna come before too long where we get Max, Max Nichols. Is be back. Yeah. Oh man, Max is gonna shred my love for Skyward Sword. I already I'm prepared. I'm for honestly kind of looking forward to it. I've enjoyed most of the Max episodes. Oh, Max. Uh, so here's the thing. Max is going to destroy me from a purely technical perspective on yeah. like why this game technically from a game design perspective is bad. Well, he's going to have the he's going to destroy you with the most valid perspective on game design that you possibly can have. And Absolutely. That is as a senior game developer, like at a triple A studio that's making one of the best first person shooters of all time. Currently, I mean, one of the best first person shooters currently on the market. Like, yes, I have no doubt that Max is going to get on here and be like, Matt. You're dumb for liking this game. He's not. He's not going to say he's that. Not, to you. No, he's nice. I mean, I'm being. He is nice. I'm not saying Max is going to be a dick. I'm just saying he's going to get on here and just well, like. And you're, you're going to say, but I like it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, really, what else can you do though? Like, this is it's it's subjective. We, we like what we like. Okay, so uh, oh, man, I get. Okay, so that so we, so we've got the ones you've played. We've got your favorites. We got your got your least favorites. Um, what? I'm going to throw a new one in here. We've never asked this one before. 
I think you know pretty much, even if you haven't played all of the Zelda games, you know what they all are for the most part, right? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, which one are you most excited to play that you have never played before? Well, uh, before just now starting Skyward, I would say it, um, because I've heard Matt and you talk about it several times over the last couple seasons, and because it's probably one of the only 3D that I have not played. Um, I would say I've played pretty much the rest of the 3D at this point. I was very interested to jump into it um, and was not a fan of the Wii controls, so I'm glad that they've changed that for me. Um, As far as top-down, I'm actually really excited to play Minish Cap. Mm, yes excellent pick yeah i think that uh there are a few seasons of this show that i'm i'm very excited to get into for a variety of reasons um for instance i can't wait to get to wind waker because i really i want matt to get the full wind waker experience and i'm i'm really excited for that i also really want that he's yeah. gonna love it he's, yeah he's gonna love it but i think that low-key the one that i'm the most excited about personally is minish cap just because it's been uh, I don't know, six or seven years since I played that game, and I do have such fond memories of it. And anytime you see people online talking about what their favorite Zelda games are, Minish Cap does get thrown around a lot. Like I feel, I feel like its place in the popular, um, it, 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 I don't know, it, it's its place in the um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. Its place in the public hierarchy of yeah, Zelda games. That works. Uh, is actually higher than you would think. It, Ooh, the court of public opinion. Yes, the, the court of public opinion has, I think, almost unanimously um, uh, judged Minish Cap to be a very worthwhile experience. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And especially, I mean, I've played a lot of the top-down ones a lot more recently. I haven't played the Oracle games in a while, but they're so similar to Link's Awakening. Um Obviously not the Link's Awakening remaster, but like the original Game Boy, they're on the same engine. They have mostly the same mechanics. So, uh, yeah, Minish Cap is one that I'm very excited to get into as well. So good pick. Very, very good pick. And hopefully we'll be able to play all of these on the Switch. I would I'm an I'm an eternal optimist and I would love to believe that Nintendo's going to have all of these on the Switch at the time that we decide we want to play them. But that may yeah. That would be amazing. That, yeah. That, that <laughs> that may, we don't have to go scound scrounge for like a Game Boy SP or hey, something. I did find your little uh red. Yes, mini the of, micro, yeah. the micro mini. We talked about that like last season or two seasons ago yeah. about how you've randomly found it well, in a box of stuff. I heard you no, it wasn't random. I heard heard you talk about it on the podcast and i'm like that's been in my game drawer since college because <laughs> Lyndon let me borrow it once to play fire red because i hadn't played many oh, good of, pick good yeah pick. i know and i i picked it up probably once a year or every other year since college and just play a run through and then put it back in the game drawer and uh you described it and i I use my detective skills to, <laughs> to find it for you <laughs> which i'm actually i'm very happy about because i think on balance, that uh, that Game Boy Advance Mini is probably the most valuable piece of Nintendo hardware that I own. Like it's like if you go and you look those up on eBay, I mean they're they're up there, and this one's still in really good shape. So I want you to know that I love you so much. I didn't even try and pawn it. That's that's you know, big of you. That is that is true friendship love right there. 
It, it really, it, it truly, truly is. But also, if you sold it, then you wouldn't be able to like bum it off of me whenever it's time to like play something. That did cross on my it, mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's 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 love, but it's also uh, it's also practical. What's that old saying? One does not bite the hand that lends you consoles. I mean, I don't think that's exactly it, but it's close enough. I'm well, sure well, that's yeah, it. it's it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. What is that? Louis Louis the fourth. Louis the fifteenth. Now you're just pulling <laughs> your ass. <laughs> well, I mean, that's generally where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a great quote. You're just pulling shit out of your ass. <laughs> Wait, do we, Thank you. Do we bleep? Yes. Yes, I bleep. Oh, sorry, guys. That's a lot of bleeping. That's that's a, no, dude, dude, that's that's my life. That's the this that's the burden that I take on to myself as the person who edits the podcast. So. <laughs> I'm glad because there's gonna be some more I like to cuss. Cool. Same. Okay. Yay. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, it has been a pleasure getting to know you briefly, or <laughs> letting other people get to know you briefly before we get into the meat of this episode. Um, with that out of the way, I am gonna get into just a little bit of housekeeping, and then we're gonna dive right in. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks that we know of. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hottest hottest takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Um, one tiny little note on this episode before we go any further, if you're noticing a change in audio quality, I think it's actually going to sound pretty good, but, um, Matt and Mike and I decided that we were going to retire to the patio to record this episode because, yeah, we wanted to have some stogies and, uh, and yeah, the weather is just freaking beautiful for, for the f- once. Yeah. For once in, in, in God forsaken Texas. So I wouldn't say God forsaken. It's not. I actually brutal, really, brutal. I Texas. actually, brutal. I really, I love living in Texas, but we are, we're at the very, we're in the dying breaths of Texas summer right now. And we're at that point where like the first night where it kind of drops down to room temperature outside, you're just like, let's do it. I'm not like, I might sleep out here. I don't know. We'll go from this to fire pit real quick, real fast. Yeah. It's a, it's a quick downward slope, but Love these nights where we finally get to enjoy a little bit of the outside air. Yep. So anyway, if you do notice a difference or the occasional nature sound, then that is why. Um, Matt, I think uh, you have a five-star review pulled up uh, to read. I do, don't you? indeed. So again, guys, we always really appreciate you guys heading over to um, iTunes specifically um, to leave us reviews. Um, so I, I actually don't think it's called iTunes. It's just Apple Podcasts. I, like, I still call it iTunes all the time, and I have to catch myself and remind myself that iTunes is not a thing that exists anymore. This feels very nitpicky. <laughs> Everyone knows what I mean. They they do, but we're gonna let Lyndon have his thing. Okay, thank you, everyone, sincerely from the bottom of our hearts for heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us five star reviews. We've got quite a few on there, and all of them are very very nice, and we appreciate you guys and supporting us as we go through these journeys. Um, the one I've got today is from Leviticus Petro. Um, he actually um, he or she or however you identify left it for us on um, pretty recently. Uh, titled The Beauty of Diversion, which caught my eye because I was like, you know what? That's really 
kind of what we're going for here, right? Is take take people out of their everyday lives, the everyday grind, join us in Hyrule or in Skyloft or wherever we may be uh, to go on a fun adventure. So uh, Leviticus Petro says, I stumbled upon Sacred Realms by accident about three weeks ago while looking for a podcast that reviewed Skyward Sword HD. I decided to give it a try starting with season one. I spent the next three weeks voraciously consuming the podcast during every commute. My life is crazy right now. Zelda is the only diversion that allows me to not stress and take a break from a chaotic world. Matt and Lyndon are really engaging hosts who bring on really insightful guests that always bring a mixture of nostalgia and brand new insight that make me excited for each and every new episode. Awesome show, great formula and rundown. Every episode is a beautiful diversion. Voraciously. That was a fantastic one. And I don't know if I'm one of these insightful guests or not. Um, I like to think so, but can we just take a second to talk about how badass Leviticus Petro's name is? I mean, this is pretty fantastic, right? And it's a very, like a dark horse pick for books of the Bible as far as usernames go, but you know what? That is awesome. Sounds like a mad cool side character in like a game. I, well, I feel like, I feel like Leviticus, Leviticus Petro would be the name of a particularly badass uh, character in like maybe a Mad Max movie or something. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I was more thinking like librarian who knows like everything about everything, right? Like you go, you go to this person to get insight into the next step of every quest and then when you're about to fight the final boss they're like let me tell you all their inner secrets and how to defeat them and I'm okay, like okay oh, Leviticus boo. tell me <laughs> exactly <laughs> so thank you uh, Leviticus Petro for a wonderful review I'm glad you're getting what you're getting out of our podcast because really that's exactly what we're going for and you know what Mike you may not be one of the one of the more um, professionally trained insightful people that we've had on this podcast thanks however well, just in, in terms of the realm of things we're talking about. Okay. Um, however, you are bringing the second half of what Leviticus Petro says he comes to this podcast for, which is the nostalgia. And uh, to be frank, that's the reason that Matt and I started this whole thing in the first place. We're, we're all just people who like sitting around and talking about how much we enjoy playing Zelda and how fondly we remember looking or how fondly we look back on having played lots of Zelda. Well, I got plenty of that. Love to hear it. And again, Leviticus, thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, please give us your five-star reviews. We love to see them. Uh, those were truly some some very kind words. And Matt's throwing stuff around over here. I am. And if anyone knows where we can find other written reviews that we can read other than just Apple Podcasts, please let us know because I 100% don't know where else to look for them. Yeah, I don't think I – mean, I know Spotify doesn't really do that, which is a shame, but uh, – Maybe Google does. I haven't looked at Google Podcasts. Yeah. We should probably do that. Yeah. Um, and one other reminder real quick. Our bonus episodes, as always, are available in more places than just the Patreon. Of course, we love for you to go and engage with our community on the Patreon. But uh, they are also available through the paid subscription tier on Apple Podcasts, three bucks a month, 30 bucks a year, get you all of our bonus episodes. We have um, a lot of excellent guests on those and cover a lot of excellent topics that are not directly related to the chunk of game that we're playing that week. So go check that out as well. One final note, by the time this episode airs, I will have revealed the Wind Waker design trading card, which is the card that anyone- <clears throat> Not Wind Waker. Oh, sorry. Well, the wind. Sorry, the windfish. I misspoke. It's the yeah. No, not there. The you go. Yes, the windfish card, which is the final card for Link's Awakening. If you pledged in August, you will be getting that along with the June and July trading cards, which are all Link's Awakening themed. They are all coming to you patrons who subbed to that tier at the same time. And I'm I'm gonna 
I'm going to get those off to Matt here in the next few weeks. So he did have a baby. So we are very sorry for the delay, especially to our uh, folks abroad, not in the U.S. We did promise you you'd get a package every quarter. Instead of getting three at the same time, you're about to get like five or six. So it'll be a good mail day for y'all. But apologies on the delay there, guys. He did just have a baby. So please give us a little bit of grace. there. I will say they're worth it. I've seen most of the cards at this point and they're pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome. You say such nice things to me. I'm building you up to tear you down later. (laughs) If that's not love, I don't know what is. (laughs) All right. Without further ado, let's talk about what we played. This is, of course, the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Skyward Sword Chapter 3, which is going to be Elden Volcano and the Earth Temple. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is, as almost always, the plot recap as read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. As we return to our home of Skyloft, we approach the statue of the guardian goddess Hylia with excitement to continue our quest. As we return to the chamber of the sword, we place the ruby tablet in the shrine to light the way to our next location. Sure enough, a ruby beam of light pierces the cloud barrier and shows the way to the scorched earth of Elden Volcano below. After a brief stint around Skyloft, including helping find the lost Kukiel and discovering the beam in Batrayu, picking up a solid iron shield, and a few other handy knickknacks, we head on down to the surface of the volcano. The volcano, much like the forest, is completely unlike anything we have ever seen before in Skyloft. But unlike the forest, it is a foreboding hellscape of lava, fire monsters, and barren rock. How could this place house anything sacred, much less a spring of spiritual water? Nevertheless, we push on following Fee's sensor readings of Zelda. As we make our way through the fiery terrain, we come across many monsters, most of which are either on fire or breathe fire. But we also come across a race of interesting mole people who seem to make their lives underground and are obsessed with treasure. A couple of these creatures warn us of the dangerous monsters ahead, but since Zelda is in that direction, off we go. Exploring the mountainside becomes more and more dangerous, and we find our path is blocked on many occasions by lava or fallen boulders. One of the magmas, the interesting mole people, teaches us about the bomb flowers that are native to this region, and they help us clear many of the obstacles in our path. Another magma gives us a pair of digging gauntlets after we clear out an entire room of moblins. With these handy new tools, we can dig in the soft earth to find buried treasure or to open up air vents to help us reach high ledges and progress through the rough terrain. Further up the slope, we find another magma who exclaims that another human dressed all in black had just come charging through the area and leapt over an impossibly large gap left by a retracted bridge. As we approach that same bridge, the new player in our adventure calls out to us as she extends the bridge. All she tells us is that Zelda is ahead and we must hurry. Apparently, this cryptic new person may very well be a friend instead of a foe. Taking her advice, we hurry to the top of the mountain, only to find the temple locked and the key to the door broken apart and hidden across the summit. After a brief scavenger hunt, we collect the pieces and open the door to the temple beyond. The Earth Temple is even more fiery than the landscape we just left, and even more infested with the monsters and danger. Putting aside our fear for Zelda, we push through the dungeon to find our dear friend and save her if we can. Along the way, we fight some new enemies that challenge our sword skills, and we put our balancing act to the ultimate test by rolling around the majority of this temple on a huge stone ball, which really, let's be honest here, was actually kind of fun. 
As we continue on our way, we come across one of our Magma friends who is lamenting the loss of his treasure to some goons in the temple. Since we are always super helpful, we decide to get the treasure back for him. After fighting a pair of ferocious Lizalfos, we recover the bomb bag and take it back to our new friend. As a gesture of gratitude, and because he really wants to get the F out of here, he grants us the bomb bag as a reward. Pushing through more traps, monsters, and literal rivers of lava, we come to the final area of the temple, and we pull some serious Indiana Jones and run away from a gigantic boulder after grabbing the key to the door. Once we open the door, very concerningly, the same boulder straight up defies gravity and goes up a stylized skeleton of a dragon to the top of the room beyond. And of course, our friend Jaharim is waiting for us. Dude. Oh my god. You literally, I, I heard Matt like talking to himself <laughs> before the recording of this episode. He just, he, he was just saying Girahim over and over and over. He did it like 20 times. That's, guys. that's a real story. And the time came. I don't even get this one wrong and I get most of them wrong, bro. Continue. What's his name? <laughs> we're getting, we're getting the look of death right now. <laughs> Okay, we love you. I'm sorry. I can't tell if he's frustrated at us or himself. Equal measure of both. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Uh, uh, our friend Girahim is waiting for us. He describes in classic villain monologue how his plan to capture Zelda was once again foiled by the goddess serving dog. Apparently, much to our distress, he tells us that his servants even captured Zelda at one point as she tried to reach the spiritual spring. So, of course, he is even more furious that we got here too late to take Zelda and use her for whatever twisted reason he has. Instead of fighting us himself, however, he promises that his new pet monster will burn us to a crisp for him, and as he snaps his fingers, the very boulder we just jonesed ourselves away from comes to life uh, as a lava monster. Using a lot of stamina, and even more bombs, we blast this molten monstrosity back into oblivion, only singeing a few of our magnificent blonde hairs in the process. (laughs) As before, the door guarding the sacred spring opens up for us, and we proceed inside to find a paradoxically peaceful place. And to our supreme shock and pleasure, we see Zelda herself by the altar of the goddess. With her is the woman dressed all in black that we saw before at the bridge. As Zelda notices us, she smiles broadly and attempts to run to us, but the woman stops her. She reminds Zelda of her duty and that she must focus solely on the task at hand. With palpable regret, Zelda turns her back on us, apologizes, and enters the beam of light and disappears. The woman in black, who must only be the servant of the goddess that Girahim despises so much, looks at us with something akin to contempt. She then accosts us with our failure to protect Zelda from the monsters, telling us that we were far too slow to protect her grace, and that if we wish to protect her in the future, we must face the trials ahead of us with courage, and only after we have conquered them will we be of any use to Zelda. After this, the servant moves into the same beam of light and disappears. With the words of the servant still stinging in our ears, we move to the statue of Hylia and once again hit her crest with the skyward strike. Fee receives another message from the gods of old and says, The spirit maiden descended from the sky has passed through the earth spring and makes her way to a faded place, the parched desert of Leneru. That is where the chosen will pass through the gate of time into a distant world. Upon receipt of this message, we also receive the amber tablet from the statue and head back to the sky to move forward on our journey and to grow in strength so that we can help Zelda. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's go ahead and get into part two, which is our takes, where we talk about 
how we felt about this section of the game. Mike, guests go first. What did you think of Elden Volcano and the Earth Temple? Uh, actually, Earth Temple comes later, J- but just generally this section of the game. Uh, I, I got thoughts, Lyndon. Um, so whenever you asked me to be on the section of the podcast, and I was like, oh, cool, let me check with the wife, make sure it's okay. And then you sent me what section it was and said Earth Temple. I'm like, well, crud. I'm I'm purposefully trying not to curse too much. Um, I haven't played the Earth Temple yet, so that's disappointing because I don't think I'm going to get to it. And then you said, you've beat Lanayru Mine, you've played the Earth Temple. And I'm over here like, well, that is one Fire Temple-ass-looking Earth Temple. <laughs> well, in a, in a game with, spoiler alert, two Fire Temples, you can't call them both the Fire Temple. So, like, <laughs> so make one Earth. Like, what about the Lava Temple? I think it could have been the Lava Temple. I mean, I would have appreciated the Lava Temple for sure. I mean, that, that gives me some serious Legend of Korra vibes with the lava, <laughs> the introduction of Lava oh, Bending, lava right? Bending like, was oh, yeah, that's so cool. <sighs> Hey, the next podcast should be a Avatar podcast. Well, they're already doing one with the actual cast yeah, of Avatar The Last are. Airbender, so like we could do nah, it better. No, oh, heck no. <laughs> I really not. I really don't think that's true. <laughs> no, I, I know it's not true. And actually now I need to go listen to that. I know it sounds awesome. But um so as far as thoughts on this part, um I actually haven't gotten to finish everything that y'all did in Farron Woods yet because that episode dropped today. But going into this, um I played it last week and I really liked the, you're going down into a complete new section through the clouds every time. You're not sure what you're going to find, especially being a a Skyward virgin. I had no idea what I was falling into next. So that was kind of a a fun exploratory moment for me. Uh, Go down and I meet this kangaroo crash bandicoot looking thing uh, popping out of the ground and uh, the the magmas. And hey, did y'all notice that the magmas all have uh, names that play off of either like geology or, or minerals. Like we've got cobalt for cobalt and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, like I think zinc is for zinc. And you said you were going to come with no formal perspective on anything. Cause yeah, I totally didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, uh, they don't make it just anyone detective. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like the little, the little details that they put into games like this. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed, I, like you talked about before, the kind of dungeon within a dungeon that's this whole game. Um, the getting to the Earth Temple was was entertaining, and I kept seeing those little spots of dirt. Like, what the heck am I going to do with those? I really think that they missed out on making you straight Wolverine with these claws, because I feel <laughs> like they could have made that a weapon pretty easy, and I, I'm, I was pretty there for it, but digging is cool too, I guess. Um, I loved whenever the guy tells you, Hey, this plug's doing this. Don't mess with the plug. So immediately you mess with the plug. Oh yeah. When someone tells you that you have only one option left to you, which is to blow the plug up. Uh, and I, I did, I I did. And I think that so far, I mean, I know I've got a lot of game left, but the bombs in this game are the bomb. No, they're pretty intense. Yeah. Like I think of, of most of the Zelda games I've played, the way you get bombs, um, because, you know, there, there's been bomb plants in several games. Um, I, most notably, I can think of Ocarina. But now you can pick up those bomb plants and save them, which uh pretty sweet. 
Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about the bomb bag specifically when we get into the dungeon because it's the main item there. But bombs are so like they're, they're so present through every level of this stage of the game for puzzle solving. And I agree with you, Mike, that one, the bomb flowers in general are, are really cool in Skyward Sword. And two, um, the way that you actually ready and can either lob or roll them. Uh, by using, again, these special controls that only Skyward Sword has, I, I think is a really cool mechanic. And, you know, it actually gives you a lot more options in how you choose to use the bombs, both for puzzle solving and for combat. You know, do you need to blow something up that uh, is on the other side of a like a low wall and you can roll the bomb under it? Cool. Is there an enemy just out of sight and you want to kind of roll the bomb over to the enemy? Fine. You can do that. Like, I, I definitely agree. Um, bombs in this game have got layers of functionality that they've never had before in Zelda. And actually, even in Breath of the Wild, they don't even necessarily have. I think um, in Breath of the Wild, it's still cool because you've got two different types of bombs that you can choose to use. Like if you want to be able to roll it, you've got the circular ones. And if you need it to be stationary, you've got the square ones. And that's cool. But this is its own special thing. And I I really like the way that they're used here. Um, Matt, Elden Volcano, the, the volcano ascent going up to the temple. How do you feel about it? He's smoking. Um, so I think I, I have a couple uh, opinions here. The intro part before you get the bombs and before you get the digging mitts, I don't particularly love. It just feels kind of busy. It feels like a busy work section. Um, after that, once you can really start exploring the landscape and opening up more paths to get to different places and you can get some goddess cubes and you can you know get a bunch of rupees and you can do some cool stuff. Um, I, I find it pretty enjoyable. Um, the quest to get the keys to get into the temple, I think, was two pieces of key too many. Um, and that's that's kind of one of the things that I've noticed replaying this game is that, like the busy work sections leading up to the temple overstay their welcome just a little bit too long. And and like that's kind of how I felt about this section was it was good for teaching you about the utility of the digging gauntlets. It was really good for teaching about the utility of bombs. It's an interesting enough area to explore with lots to be gained, um, specifically rupee wise, goddess cube wise. Um, but it was just a little bit too extended to where by the time I was done with it, I was like, oh, thank God I'm finally moving into the temple. So Matt, do you think some of that's because they came up with that? I think it's a pretty cool dowsing mechanic. And with all the stuff they're having, you kind of locate I think they're just trying to capitalize on that mechanic they created. Oh, absolutely. I think that is exactly why they did what they did. Is is And, it, and that's the first time you really use anything even remotely like dousing um, in any Zelda game that I know of. I obviously, I haven't played Wind Waker or some of the other ones, but like I, I can't think of a similar mechanic in any Zelda game that I have played. And it is really cool. I think a, a common thing that people say about dousing is that it makes the game too easy in these kind of scavenger hunt quests, which I also understand. Like, depending on what you're looking for in a Zelda game um, or, you know, from a level of difficulty standpoint. Um, But no, I think you are exactly correct in that they extend these sections out. They have more than three pieces of key because they want you to heavily utilize dousing. I think that if you're going to have dousing as a mechanic, then five pieces of key or more pieces to track down is justified simply because it results in less time that you spend banging your head against the wall just like trying to find something that you have no clues to where it's supposed to be, especially in an area this big. If they had not done dousing, then I completely agree three sections of key at the most 
would have been appropriate. And otherwise, it, it just kind of would have gone on for a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the Volcano Ascent well enough. I feel very similarly about it to, uh, honestly, a lot of things that both of you have said are, are kind of resonating with me here. Um, I think that... <sighs> I think that it's all a lot of fun, and I enjoy dungeon solving as much as I enjoy exploration in Zelda games. Like, I'm pretty equal on both of them, and so I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love Skyward Sword, and I also love Breath of the Wild, even though they're, they're like, so focused on different things. Um, I like both of those things, so I like both of those games. Um, I do think one of the byproducts of having the overworld be essentially a pre-dungeon to the dungeon every time is that in some cases, the illusion of being like the illusion of the world is broken a bit. It's a little bit less natural feeling because it just has like so much of it is based around puzzles and mechanics. For instance, um, all of the uh, all of the different like wind um uh, what are those? You, you dig up the the things and then a, a, a pillar of wind the comes air, out. air spouts. Yeah, the air spouts. Um, there's that whole section where you have to get a piece of the key by going down that chute and there's air spouts all down it. And like that's cool and it's fun in its own way. But also it, it's, it's the kind of thing that sort of breaks a little bit of the illusion of this just being like wild untamed earth you know and to summarize that i think in a way that i that the way that i'm thinking of it feels far more scripted than freeform uh, as far as what you're doing to get to your next objective it's not a it's not an exploration it's not a kind of you know figure it out for yourself it's a follow this very set path to get where you need to be is kind of how I think about it. Yeah. And the way you just described it. Yeah, that's that's fair. I completely agree with that. Um, That being said, the art style, I I mean, the art style continues to be a standout. I think the aesthetic of all of uh, these areas are amazing. Before we move too far into that, I do want to say that, uh, like, I have been trying to go through this game mostly um, since I've played it. This is now my fourth time playing it. I've been trying to mostly steer away from some of the more hand-holding mechanics like dowsing. So I did spend a longer bit of time in this uh, scavenger hunt section than I probably would have had I actually used dowsing. So that might be coloring. And in fact, I know it is. That is coloring my opinion of the game right now um, for... Because the last piece of key that I had to find took me a very long time, and I ended up having to actually just go and douse for it because I was like, I honestly can't remember where this thing is. So that might be, I think that's what's coloring my um, perspective here. Matt, on that too, like, so being new to Skyward and Mm -hmm. the dowsing mechanic, uh, I don't know if it's me being slow on the uptake or not, but like in the Faron Woods, I found all the little, what what are they, the little weirdos? Kikwis. I found all the little kikwis before I even figured out dousing. Yeah. So I, I found them sure. all on my own exploring, and that made it fun. Um, this with the, uh, the with the ascent, mm-hmm. yeah. with the ascent, I found several of them without dowsing. But then I found it refreshing thinking back to, oh hey, I have this tool in my tool belt, and it helped me find the last two. Yeah. So. And I, I appreciate that a little bit. For sure. I, and I totally agree with that perspective. One thing that I do like about these overworld sections, if you want to call them that, of Skyward Sword, is that I think we said this uh, last week. Each main surface section of this game has got two major dungeon areas in it. And one thing that I do really like is that they are all kind of like you can see where they all are for the most part from where you are at this point in the game. Like in Faron Woods, you could see a sealed gate and a waterfall behind it 
that we'll be going to later. In this section of the game, there is a cavern that is too hot for Link to go into, and you can clearly see that there's pathways and stuff leading out from that. And so it's one of those things where it builds anticipation because you know that you're going to be coming back here later, and once you get more stuff, you'll be able to explore more. And I do really like that. I think that that is a classic hallmark of Zelda games, and Mm -hmm. it it feels very at home here. And and it calls back very strongly to what we talked a lot about in our Ocarina of Time season, where you can see the entrance to the Forest Temple as soon as you go to Saria's Grove. You can see where the Water Temple is when you're finding Ruto's message in a bottle. Like, you can see all of these places. You can even see the Shadow Temple if you're in the graveyard in Kakariko Village. Like, it's very strong callbacks to very classic 3D Zelda mechanics and and, uh, world building, I mean. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I do want to talk about the aesthetic and art style a little bit because um, I, I, I do, again, I love the art style in Skyward Sword so much and the environment design, obviously, for a lot of the volcano ascent, it's just kind of like rock and lava. But once you do start getting higher up the mountain and you're encountering structures and stuff, I just really like a lot of the a lot of the styling and colors that are being used here. Um, a lot of the architecture is very colorfully rendered. Like it's got big, um, oh man, it's got big um, Fire Nation capital vibes, <laughs> I think. From, we're talking about Airbender a lot today. But like it's got a lot of that. And it's very, it's got a lot of personality to it, especially once you get into the dungeon. And I, I really enjoy that a lot. See, I think it's more like the... Um the island that they visit where they learn about the eclipse, the the island, the Ro- Avatar Roku's island. It's more that than Fire Nation capital. Yeah, sure. That too. So, and I think that one of the fun things about the, the stark contrasts, at least as far as I've gone in the game with the different areas, is in say, again, pulling from my experience, Ocarina, you're traveling to these on foot. As you're approaching them, you're, you're kind of seeing a buildup of the differences in each territory, whether that's uh, Lake Hylia, um, Kakarika Village. Um, in this, you're literally falling through the sky to an unknown area. You yeah. show up and you're like, oh, okay, this is a desert. Or, hey, this is the woods. Yeah. Um, so I, that's kind of a fun mechanic. It's interesting because falling into each one, you're in a completely different uh, geographic area. Mm-hmm. But from the sky... They look pretty close together. Am I wrong? No, they, they do. Like, the, the, yeah, the the pillars of light don't feel like they're far enough apart from each other to have that drastic of a difference in geography. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm falling into maybe the next county, uh, <laughs> right? Not like, like the next country. You're going from Dallas to Fort Worth instead of like Dallas to Minnesota, right? Like, it's it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a you know, okay, I'll I'll take that that stretch in the because you have so much area to work with. Oh, for sure. It still makes me. I, I know we've talked about this earlier, but what they could have done with sky, uh, the sky loft and, and up in the air, if they would have filled that out a little bit more like they did on Wind Waker, I feel like that would have even felt more natural. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think we're going to probably reiterate that point many times throughout the rest of this game. But anywho, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, before we move out of our takes and we get into talking about the dungeon specifically, I just want to remind everybody, if you have not gotten the bug net from Beetle's airship yet, go do that because each section of the game, you like each section, each section of the surface that you go to um, has a different selection of bugs that you can collect and they become important later for crafting stronger potions and, and doing stuff like that. So definitely get that bug net because you've got a lot of different kinds of critters in this section than you did in Faron Woods. And I can only imagine that it's frustrating as heck to see all of those and not be able to get them. 
So, Lynn, you, you talk about the bug net, and I, I've traditionally used you as kind of my uh, game guide for, what, 10 years now? Oh, who hasn't used Lyndon as a game guide? Uh, he, he's really he's really just the walking game guide Why well, look it up games. whenever you can have a whiskey and a smoke and just ask him questions? Exactly. Um, but you told me to get the bug net, because I would not have thought that was a, a big thing in this game until you talked to me about it. I'm also terrible at catching bugs. Um, at least the <laughs> flying ones. I can get the little buggers on the ground pretty good. Um, but I don't even know what you use them for yet. I'm just getting a crud ton of them. And so the little guy that used to be friends with, with uh, Groose and now wants you to sell him bugs. Should I sell him bugs? No. Hold them. You get you get more than enough rupees in the overworld and just generally through dungeons. You don't need more rupees. Hold on to your bugs. It's much more valuable to have them to upgrade your potions than it is to get rupees from this guy. Thank you. I'll use that advice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just a just a quick tip with the bug net. If you haven't figured it out yet, uh, you cannot Z target onto bugs unless you're unless you have the bug net out. And when you do have the bug net equipped, you can Z target the bugs, and that makes it easier to like zone in on them and. Also, also another massive upgrade that comes from using the stick and button layout over the motion controls, catching bugs on the stick and button layout is a bazillion times easier than motion controls. So Lyndon's talked about this. Sorry, I just hit the table. That was my bad. Um, so with the playing on different modes with the, which, which, which one are you playing on just for, so I'm playing obviously the stick the, and button, the switch, but I'm playing handheld. Yeah. which is actually my first time to play a Zelda handheld on the Switch. Um, due to my current life situation, much like Lyndon's got a new uh, new baby boy who's cute. Oh, he's adorable. Um, so I have a three-year-old and one on the way due in October. Um, most of my gaming is now handheld in 20 to 30-minute increments. Oh, for sure. And I find that much easier on the handheld version and it's taken nothing away from me from what I thought it would on this experience. Mm-hmm. And even those motion controls with the the side, you know, depending which side your swing is coming from, feels pretty organic on this. I totally agree. And I think we talked about this last week is is the the transition that Nintendo was able to make technologically from a purely motion controlled um, swing your wrist around um, game to porting that over to be compatible with stick and button continues to be the most impressive technological achievement of the Skyward Sword remake or or HD remaster like it. And we're probably going to mention this in most likely every episode. You guys are probably going to get sick of hearing it. And if you're not playing it, you're definitely going to get sick of hearing it. But if you are playing it, I really recommend you at least give the stick and button layout a try every once in a while because it's just is really smooth and seamless in a lot of ways. Yep. Agreed. Okay, so let's move on to part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Matt, lead us off here. Tell us what did you think of the Earth Temple? So this is actually kind of funny. When I think back on Skyward Sword dungeons, this is not anywhere close to like even the top three for me. But as I was playing through it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I very much enjoyed this dungeon. Um, there are no keys in this dungeon that you have to track down, which is kind of interesting. It's a departure from general standard Zelda um, dungeon mechanics. And instead, they rely a lot on um, movement and the giant ball that I alluded to in our um, in our plot recap. And like, it was just, it's a lot of fun rolling around on that ball, rolling on top of the lava frog thingies and, um, fighting the Lizalfos is a lot of fun. 
like I, I generally can't think of a thing that I disliked about this dungeon as I've played through it for the, you know the fourth time. Yeah, so I had almost no memory of this dungeon whatsoever before I went back and I played. I've beaten this game twice before, and it and I similarly to you, Matt, enjoyed it a lot. And I think that really does just speak to the fact that. I don't think Skyward Sword really has bad dungeons. Like, they're all really fun, and even the ones that don't stand out as clearly in my memory are still really a blast to play through. Um, I enjoyed this dungeon quite a lot. Mike, where were you at with it? So it really actually makes me pretty excited that you say this is not on your your tops of the dungeons for this game, because I liked the crud out of this dungeon. Um, yeah. the From the movement mechanics, um, like you said, there's no keys, I really enjoyed the multiple use of items that required, uh, well, sorry, that this dungeon required because normally you you get X item, you use X item, the entire dungeon, that's your big go-to. This one, you're using the beetle, you're using the claws, you're using the bombs, and it's that combo that really gets you through it. And so it, I'm here for the puzzles. And uh, I guess uh, based on what uh, Mr. Nichols has uh you know, taught me through these <laughs> last sure. these last two seasons. Um, I would call this a puzzle box dungeon for sure. And I, uh, I think that's true in a lot of ways. Yeah. If he disagrees with me, he can uh, he can tell me on the next time he's on. <laughs> but uh, so I really enjoy the puzzle aspect, and every room's a new a new puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. Besides, like the Lazalfos fight, which was also pretty fun. But the figuring out each puzzle, what combo of items I need to get through it, was very exciting. Um, Link's pretty brave because that dang ball in oh, the dude, lava I would pit, not. there's no way I'm hopping on a ball in a lava no pit. No way. I consider myself a, a pretty brave dude. That would not be happening. No. And, and, and you got to think that that ball of rock has got to be oh, it's hot. hot. And he doesn't even have the red tunic yet. No. Like, I, so I beat my head against things quite a bit in this game because I, I refuse to look up uh, walkthroughs on my first playthrough of that a game. Boy. That a boy. And uh, so I caught fire. Um, I know this is back. Sorry, I'm backtracking, Lyndon. No, go. Um, I caught fire way too many times trying to get into that one section that you're not supposed to get into yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I finally, I just decided, you know, that's not a thing. So we'll move on. And I'm glad I did because I wasted like 30 minutes just being on fire. Um, in this part, you know, through the whole temple, I, it didn't take me long to figure out the puzzles, but they were all challenging enough to be entertaining yeah well and they're also mostly bomb based which is what Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier and i think now let's talk about the main item that you get in this dungeon which is the bomb bag and usually the bomb bag is not the sexiest item that you get in a zelda game like it's just it's it's a thing that you you know you need it's good to have you're happy when you get it but there's not i mean it's it's just standard at this point really but what you were alluding to earlier mike the mechanic of the bomb bag in this game where you refill it and like not by cutting grass and finding bombs in the grass, but by picking up bomb flowers off the ground and putting them in the bomb bag. Um, that uh, I think is an awesome, awesome mechanic, and it, it, it lends uh, like it creates a lot of immersion around the way that bombs work in this game. It just makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but it's also nice because it means that you have a little bit of scarcity around how many bombs you have. 
And then when you see bomb flowers kind of scattered around, it sort of forces you to think like, okay, I should probably stock up. What do I need these for? Is there a puzzle close by that is going to require bombs? I think it's uh, I think it's nice. It's a really well-designed implementation of the bomb bag. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I kind of want to backtrack to just a little bit is around the movement around this map and, and the puzzles you have to solve. The, the bombable walls in this section of the game are very well hidden, and multiple times you have to double bomb a wall for it to break and i really like that because it it causes you to think critically and to use your dungeon map like this is one of the dungeons where your dungeon map really comes in handy because you're like how am i supposed to get from where i am to around the side so i can hit the other switch to to raise the bridge and and like i remember the first time i played this dungeon i was like i can't figure out a way around i've tried so many things i was looking at my dungeon map and i was like well there's this whole other section that i haven't gotten to how am i supposed to get over there and it made me really look at the situation I was in and think about the item that I had and think about how can I make that happen. And when I when I finally figured it out, it was one of those moments of victory that I was like, oh, that's how you do it. Oh, my gosh, that is so cool. And it's just one of those like brief um, serotonin rushes that you get where you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. And, you know, you make your way through. Uh, the rest you mean of the dopamine? Dopamine, whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean. Everyone knows what I mean. So I do want to talk a little bit about the combat in this dungeon because it introduces a new enemy type, which I thoroughly enjoyed um, playing against. That is, of course, the Lizalfos. And, you know, the Lizalfos in Zelda games typically are kind of pushovers i think like in ocarina of time oh, for sure i don't remember them being all that difficult because really they just like they move quickly but it's just about kind of i don't know knowing when they're vulnerable and damageable and exploiting that in this game they are kind of an evolution on what was going on with the bacoblins and Faron woods where they've got blocking mechanics they still have the frantic movement that you know them for, but you really have to pay attention to where they are at any given point because they um, they can really kick your ass if you. Oh, yeah. dude, their their attacks take hearts off your off of you. Like they they hit hard and they move very quickly and they they're kind of erratic. Like if you if you swipe at them too early, then they do an infinite dodge thing where you can't hit them. You have to get them to like cower behind their arm shield and hit them in the right way and you only get two hits and if you do them both wrong, they're going to hit you with that massive tail attack. But one of the cool things is that there's different ways to fight the Lizalfos where if even if they do the tail attack, if you time the shield block correctly, you can get another opportunity to hit them. So like there's a lot of cool things that go on with the Lizalfos in general. I think the only Lizalfos that I find more difficult than Skyward Sword Lizalfos is Breath of the Wild Lizalfos on hero mode because those bastards regenerate health and I hate them. But um, I know Lyndon's looking at me like you wimp. No, 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 I, I agree. The Lizalfos in Breath of the Wild hero mode are tanky and very hard so uh, yeah i think i think this dungeon introduces a really cool new enemy type with the lizalfos that is uh, a, a good departure from the og lizalfos formula yeah definitely um i usually like to talk about dungeon music in this section but i for the life of me i'm trying to remember what the what the what it even sounds like what I recall enjoying it, but it's not coming to mind immediately. It's not for me either. I'm I'm more recalling the um, mountain ascent music, the bum 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 badadum kind of stuff. And yeah, get it, Matt. Yeah, uh, I don't. I honestly don't know what the dungeon so music. I hope is. you cut it in here because I I don't remember the music, but I remember it being very fitting. And that's one thing I have liked so far is mm -hmm. the music throughout the game. And y'all have talked about it multiple times, but. 
I do feel like the the soundtrack to this game is pretty fluid with where you're at, and I, I always feel pretty hype yeah. about what I'm doing. So I'm going to play a snippet of it on our end. I'm going to cut that out and cut the MP3 directly into the audio, but this is the soundtrack from the Earth Temple. Oh, yeah, there it is. So good. Yeah, this is actually really this sweet. This is actually really good. How did we forget this? Oh my god, this is so much fun. Okay, yeah, I just played that, and immediately once we heard it, we were all just like, oh, oh hell yeah. yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Man, that, that is a temple music no, right there. No, for sure. Man, that was good. Oh, can't believe I forgot what that sounded right? like. Right? How did we forget that? I think it's because there's so much good music in this game. That's true. That you just kind of expect good music in the temples. And so th- there are certain themes. You know, like the Gerudo Fortress theme has always been my favorite. Oh, for sure. And there are things that you enjoy, but then the things that stick with you. And some of these don't necessarily stick in my head, but they are very fitting. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, man, you know what this temple really reminds me of, Matt and Mike? Uh, did no. I? Did either of you play Rayman Two on yes! the Nintendo sixty four? Oh, so much! That was a fantastic game. Yeah, Rayman Two was great, but there was a there was like a lava volcano uh, dungeon. I don't know if you call them dungeons in Rayman, but uh, anyway, it had very similar like coloring and soundtrack and mood to this dungeon. And I uh, I was thinking that while I was playing through it, and I was like, oh yeah, I kind of want to play Rayman Two again now. I mean, it's always a good playthrough. It is. <laughs> So I didn't get the Rayman so much, but uh, after being chased by that giant rock, I'm oh, definitely Indian. watching Indiana Jones. Oh, dude. Yes. That was oh. perfect. And I, I thought it was coming. So again, I, I've never played this game. I opened that chest. I'm like, there's totally going to be a rock because that giant ramp leading up to it. I mean, oh, dude, that's like rock yes. territory. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this seems like a pretty good time to segue into talking about said giant rock, also known as the boss, <laughs> which was a really cool transition, by the way. No, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. No, I was I- talking about the rock becoming the boss. Oh, you weren't talking about my segue? <laughs> no, I was talking about the rock becoming the boss. Oh, damn it. <laughs> but your, your segue was good, too, Lyndon. It was good. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, um, this whole section, Indiana Jonesing your way from a rock that then jumps into the mouth of the dragon that lets you lead into the boss room. Um, as I said, my plot recap, just, man, you can't get any more classic Indiana Jones than that. It was so much fun. And also who's coming up with these names for bosses? Cause the pyroclastic fiend Scaldera, I'm like, that's Pyro a mouthful. fiend. Mm, yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to just call him Mr. Scaldera now. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> so one thing I love about this boss fight is that it's a little bit less of just like, a lot of Zelda boss fights take place in symmetrical arenas where you're just kind of running away from the boss and getting around the boss and dodging attacks in, in kind of a, a vaguely circular or uh, rectangular space this boss fight has got a whole set piece associated with it which is the ramp that you have to keep running up and down uh, while scaldera is chasing you and i don't know i think that it's really fun i found that this was very refreshing especially after the boss fight in skyview temple with Girahim, which again i don't hate but i do like traditional zelda boss fights and this is a traditional zelda boss fight for sure. Yeah, you use the item you get in the dungeon, you hit him with a thing, you throw the thing at him again, and then you smack the eyeball. Oh, yeah. He's like a weird 
Goma meets Geodude meets Oh, Geodude, good uh, one. Lava Monster, uh Magmar. Oh, okay. I kind of get that. Yeah. Um and so one of the things playing multiple games with Lyndon over the years, um I'm not out to find out how to cheese bosses, but I just kind of like to find the weird niche thing that helps you beat them easier. Right. So uh Fire Temple, Ocarina, uh was it King Dodongo? Um, well, so there's King Dodongo and Dodongo's Cavern, and then there's Bovagia so, so in the Fire Temple. King Dodongo is who I'm thinking of. You stand in the right spot. He doesn't roll into you, right? Mm-hmm. This is like the same thing. And so I quickly figured out, hey, he can't come up to the top platform. Yeah. And also, when he's rolling down, if I stay close enough to the side, I'm good. For sure. And so that kind of helped me beat him. All that being said, I did use a fairy on this. Oh, I, I actually had to use a potion, a heart potion as well, because um, he's got that weird immunity phase where when you hit him with the bomb, it doesn't do anything. Right. And and what got me actually was um, I mistimed one of those and then he like hit me and then got a got past me and then hit the bombs on the top, rolled back down and hit me again. And then I was too far up the ramp to go down and throw the bomb in his mouth. And then he shot fireballs at me and hit me like three times. And I was like, OK, that was just a really bad cluster that i just got into yeah and quickly I, reset and and did fine i also lost a lot of hearts on this one just because i had forgotten that uh and this actually makes sense because this dude is uh very hot like temperature very hot right so as he's running up the ramp if you happen to be too close to a bomb flower that he's also close to the bomb flowers explode naturally right and they will blow you up yeah they will blow you up so i mean you know it's cool it's all immersion you know it's it's a thing that like it makes sense like it, it would work. Were bomb flowers and scalderas real in the real world? That's how it would work, right? God, so that's a like, terrifying thought. Yeah. And it made it harder for me in parts of this temple because you're gonna laugh, but I'm too cheap to buy the metal shield, so I kept a wooden shield. Of course you did, and it didn't last super long. No, so I did the whole rest of the thing without a shield. Oh yeah, that's hard. I will say, I know, I know you to be a thrifty man. Um, <laughs> I really do. I would. Honestly, get yourself each new shield as it becomes available because one of the main – one of the fun um, gameplay loops in Skyward Sword is the collecting of materials that you can then use to upgrade the shields to cooler versions of Mm -hmm. the shield. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I really liked that mechanic the first time that I played this game. I still really like it. It's a lot of fun. So highly recommend you getting on board with the shield purchasing. Yeah, upgrading the items that you get within this game because you can upgrade almost everything. You can upgrade your various bomb bags or seed satchels. You can upgrade each of the individual items you get. You can upgrade each of the shields i think three times there are a couple items you can only upgrade twice but um each of these items that you can upgrade just become really badass in a lot of ways like um i'm thinking specifically the um, iron shield you can upgrade it twice to get to the super reinforced shield or whatever and that thing is tanky and it's very cool looking as well like it also it doesn't just upgrade its stats it also changes its physical appearance and the way that that progresses through um is a really cool milestone for me as I go through this game. Cause that's one of the things that I love about um, adventure games like this is when I can make my gear my own and I can kind of customize it to the way I like. And there's not so much customization here, but having an upgraded version of the iron shield that I can look at, you know, five or six levels in, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is my iron shield that I upgraded. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So Matt, I know, you know we've known each other for a while too, um, as the brother of my college roommate. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but, 
so we share a love of, of certain games, The Witcher, Oh yeah, uh, Skyrim. I am not a fan of destructible items. I hate destructible and, items. And never have been. And uh, Lyndon, correct me if this is the wrong place to talk about this, but I am playing out of order because I have played Breath of the Wild before this game. Mm-hmm. And in certain parts, I'm like, well, why is this a weird regression of of what Breath of the Wild has, but it's not really a regression. Breath of the Wild was a progression. Yeah, exactly. Of, of what this game kind of put on the table. And whenever I think about it in that um, dynamic, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, it really is pretty impressive what this game had and kind of innovated. For sure. Um, that being said, I'm a hoarder and always have been oh, same. in games. Uh, I'm the Skyrim guy who has the house just filled with all the stuff. All of my trophies. Yes. I build all of the trophies. I have four houses in Skyrim, and all of them are full to the brim with various things. Ah, yes. I have a dragon bucket where I keep all my dragon bones. Absolutely. And, uh, it's, yeah. it's always full to the brim. So in this game, I, I'm currently hoarding bugs. I did sell a couple to the weird bug guy just because uh, he really, like, he seems pretty excited about bugs, and I felt like I should do that. <laughs> um, but... I'm keeping all my bugs and items, and hearing you guys talk about it, I really feel like I should upgrade some gear. For sure. So uh, that's next on my plate. Um, but I really do kind of like that mechanic in this game where mm-hmm. you you have the ability to have gear that progresses with you. Mm-hmm. And I haven't delved into it yet, but I feel like the potions will kind of do that as I go too. And I think this is kind of a good place to talk about it because, you know, we have a whole bonus episode dedicated to, you know, Skyward Sword, and we also talk a lot about... Um, the the similarities or the you know the things that Skyward Sword did that Breath of the Wild then progresses upon and this is one of the areas we talked about specifically right where Skyward Sword starts out with the here's your gear here's your set gear right like it's not you're not picking up you know random shields all over the place you have you know four shields you can get you have the wood you have the iron you have the the sacred and then you've got the hylian shield and the 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 three base shields you can upgrade over and over again you have your set bow you have your set slingshot that you can upgrade over and over again and like to me that is a more satisfying loot experience than the here's a rando shield that's going to break and you know, five uses. And then I have to go find another one. I don't personally like that mechanic. Um, I understand from a gameplay perspective, how that was necessary for a breath of the wild was, but this mechanic, um, for gear and loot is much more satisfying to me personally. And it's one of the things that I hope they carry over, at least in some aspect into breath of the wild Two, is being able to set aside some gear that you can kind of make more permanent and upgrade as you go. So I, yeah, I think that's a kind of a sidebar, but relevant, uh, relevant. Was a little bit of a sidebar, but a good conversation nonetheless. I do want to move this uh, past the dungeon because I think we covered most of the ground that we can there. Let's go ahead and talk uh, part four, which is side quests and just uh, each of us uh, spend a minute talking about what side experiences uh, we got up to in this section of the game. I'll go ahead and go first. Do you want to visit the scene in the Sacred Spring with Zelda and Impa? And You got it in your plot recap. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, just want to make sure. Cool. Uh, so as far as side quests go, I actually got a lot done between Faron Woods and the uh, Volcano Ascent 
in this section of the game. I paid a visit to the bamboo minigame, which I always loved in the Wii version. Of course, uh, it's it's very difficult to do well at that um, at this point in the game because you only get better as you get longer swords. But it's a fun minigame to take part in. Uh, more of what I did was kind of kicked off the whole Betrio quest where you visit the demon of Skyloft for the first time. Uh, that all feeds back into the whole – how do you pronounce his name? Kukuyel? Kukiel. Kukiel? Yeah. She. She, okay, yeah. yeah that, that all kind of feeds into the whole finding Kukiel, um side quest on Skyloft. And, you know, once you've done that, you're opened up to collecting gratitude crystals, which, uh, you know, you collect more of those things and then Betro gives you stuff. And, um, you know, by the very end of the game, if you've gotten all of them, then Betro transforms uh, from – Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Betro transforms into a human and is no longer a monster. But I think that that's a really fun little side quest. Um you know, it involves kind of visiting a few places in the sky, the Pumpkin Island and whatnot, and then doing a little bit of exploring on Skyloft at nighttime. But that's probably the big one that I did. Yeah, and also like the batch, the Bachelor quest is really the the father of most of the side quests that you get within Skyward Sword because most of the most of the side quests you get as you progress through the game grant you various levels of gratitude crystals, whether it's a one or a cluster of five. I think the highest you can get is a cluster of ten. Um so it it is really like the grandfather of most side quests that you get within uh, Skyward Sword. So it's a very important one to do. If you didn't do it um, at this section of the game, highly recommend you go back to Skyloft before you go to Lanayru Mines. Go and do the Kukiel, um, the missing Kukiel side quest, and discover Batro and and start that Gratitude quest, Crystal quest because you're going to get a lot of cool stuff out of that. It's how you get bigger wallets, you get some pieces of heart, and you get some other uh, various useful items. He gives you some cool stuff, but every time I go over there and talk to that dude, so it's Betro, I, I I think, uh, man, why does he want to be a human? He's got wings and some sweet horns. I'm That's like, true. I'd rather be you. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming he can fly. I would assume ar- so around the I've, sky. Never see him do it but on I'm, whim. Yeah. So I mean, just like he kind of has like the best of both worlds going on already. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, he's <laughs> he's an interesting character for sure. Um, I I appreciate him for his generosity. That that's fair. I mean, he he's a good dude, and yeah. whatever gratitude crystals are, like I don't know that I've ever generated a crystal when I've been super happy. I mean, I've had some pretty good moments. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you've never just given your wife a, a gratitude crystal for being amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, whenever I had the birth of you know our daughter, and me and Lyndon celebrated with cigar and whiskey, I. I don't think anything popped out of me uh, that was <laughs> that crystalline you know in nature. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, as far as the side quest on this particular section, um, I did I did betrow as well. But, uh, man, the pumpkin guy, he's uh, he's got uh, me on yes. the hook for breaking his chandelier. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I broke the chandelier. I'm going to get that heart piece. I Absolutely. Mean, sorry about your cruddy chandelier. Um, it wasn't really that great. No, dude, it wasn't. Like, it, it was, really it was mismatched. There was rupees and a heart piece. Like, yeah. get something that's all the same. For sure. I mean, and at least like gold rupees or something. Right? Um, it's just some crappy blues. So, you know, I did the thing where I have to transport the uh, the pumpkin juice for him. And uh, that's a cool fetch quest. I'm used to that. Then he's wanting me to help his daughter with some pumpkins. Oh, did that, you the balancing pumpkins? That pumpkin balance game pissed me the <laughs> 
fuck off. <laughs> and I said the F word because that did. deserved it. Yes. I did that thing too many times. It is it is a infinitely harder on the Wii motion controls because the Wii motion controls weren't super calibrated. Yeah. And no, so I, I tried some of that and I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to cheese this and go to the handheld. Still not great because that wind's blowing. Yep. I'm trying to move. And like, if you get up against a wall. And that wall doesn't happen to be the direction the pumpkins want to go. You're screwed. Oh, for sure. And uh, so after I finally did that, I just dove off and did like a stage dive from the the pumpkin place and pieced out <laughs> for a little while. F this. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't gotten as far as the pumpkin balancing game yet. I'll probably hit that up before I go to the linear mines. But I mean, in this section of the game, we're really kind of opening things up, and there's a lot more to do. And I I like that. I mean. For as much as we can say that Skyloft and the sky is empty feeling in a lot of ways, I do think that there are enough NPCs in Skyloft proper that, um, you know, there are there are side bits to find and engage with here. And and I, I like that. I think most of them are pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. So um, y'all covered all the side quests that I did as well. So I, I have nothing new to add there. But um, yeah, it's just a it's a good intro section to opening up a lot of the side quests that you're going to get to later in the game. So go do them. So let's move on to part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. I'm going to go ahead and go first here because um, Matt's making that face that he only ever makes when he didn't think of a Z targeting in advance. He mouthed the F word. I saw I, it. I, I did. I did do that. <laughs> yeah. So mine for this one is actually going to, I kind of like touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, as far as enemies go, I'm going to pick the Lizalfos. I think that the Lizalfos in this game, like I said before, are actually quite a lot of fun to fight. I think they capitalized very well on the combat mechanics of this game. And for that reason, I just, I'm going to pick them as my Z targeting. And uh, a thing that I mentioned last week where the the personalities of the enemies and characters that you happen across in Skyward Sword are just really well developed, both in the animation and the um, art style of those enemies. That's true of the Lizalfos as well. They do a lot of fun, like serpent tongue wagging, and they're like the way that they move and jump is really cool. I just think that they're a really fun enemy. So that's my Z targeting pick for this week. Good one. Matt, you good if I go next? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So. <sighs> This game is essentially just a mission in discovery for me because it's all new to me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and can I pick an entire race of folks? Mm -hmm. So I I really liked the Magma, um, which, like I said, when I first saw them, I'm like, you like Crash Bandicoot looking mole <laughs> kangaroo <laughs> folks. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but they're entertaining. Um, I have not seen them before. If they're in another Zelda game, please let me know. But um, I thought that they were a pretty cool departure from my my normal Zelda races. For sure. Um, and I, I enjoyed their banter, their names, the, you know, all being played off of of metals or or minerals. Um, they give you some pretty cool items. Like mm -hmm. I really like the bomb bag and the digging claws still, I think they should have let you go Wolverine with those, but that that's you know, a little late. Um I think that they were interesting and they they really kind of added to that area. Um, I'm so used to the Gorons. Uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saying Gorons now. Linden, Linden not not Gorgons. <laughs> no, Gorgons still was cool. But uh, no, so I, I think that they were a, a cool departure from a normal race I've seen. And uh, I just really enjoyed them as a whole. And there's so many iterations of, of the Magma you see through that deal. They really are kind of like your guide, even though yeah. it's not a singular person. 
For sure. Uh, that's a good pick. And actually an interesting note on Skyward Sword in general is that all of the ally races that we find, except for the people of Skyloft, are all new and unique races. Um, the Kikwis, the um, the robots, and the, the Magmas are all completely new and unique. Um, our one Goron friend, uh, the Historian, who I picked last week as my Z-targeting, is the only recurring um ally race that we have seen so far before you go on to your z targeting can i throw in like a dark question yeah sure so like you said these are all unique races i haven't seen these guys before and this is supposed to be the first game yes what happened to to my my boys um most likely extinct is, is that what we're going off of as far as like our, our head cannon? So, I mean, you would have to assume because obviously Gorons exist. We have our one singular Goron who's around. So that obviously means there's more of them somewhere. Um, and Magmas don't appear or are not referenced anywhere else in any other Zelda game, including Minish Cap, which is the next oldest chronologically entry in the game or in the series. So you would have to assume that they probably went extinct or either just went so far underground and are never seen from or so, not, never heard from again. I was kind of hoping you were going to tell me you see them again. And I just haven't seen them again. No, they did. <laughs> Lyndon really just kind of burst that bubble for me, but I would love nothing more in breath of the wild too, than to be doing some weird digging quest and find my Mogba boys just living it up. Hey, you know what? It's not, it's, it's possible. They could just have converted to an entirely subterranean existence. I, it's possible. I'm okay with it. I, that's my head cannon. There you go. I like it. All right, Matt, the time has come. Lay your Z targeting upon us. I am picking the sword master who you take the pumpkin soup to because that bro, <laughs> he is the broest of bros in all of Skyloft. He's got a big sword. He literally lives to swing a sword around and drink pumpkin juice, pumpkin soup. Like, man, that guy, he's beefcake. Uh, it sounds like you're assuming pumpkin juice is alcoholic, which I'm, I'm there for. kind of assuming it is like he gets his daily dose of pumpkin soup from the guy and it's got that earthy aroma that he loves. Man, I want to be the like what, what we're going to say, like 50 year old sword master yeah. pumpkin juice addict. Oh, for sure. <laughs> just, I, I love this guy. He's hilarious, man. So, whenever you play Wind Waker, uh, Lynn, you, you've probably played this more recently than I, but the sword master in Wind Waker, like in the wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of that dude. Yep. I totally get that. Yeah. So that's my Z targeting pick just for a pure appreciation of the um, stereotypical masculine beefcake. <laughs> cool. That'll do. All right. Let's move into part six, which is our final thoughts. I'm actually going to give Matt a break on this one. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And I'm going to try and sum up this section of the game as succinctly as I possibly can. I think that the Elden Volcano and Earth Temple are tonally very interesting parts of this game. The environment is cool. The puzzle solving is cool. Um, narratively, it functions as a way of increasing the stakes. We know Zelda's alive. We've seen her. And now we're just trying to solve a mystery, mostly revolving around what is Zelda doing. And we we get some cool um, advancements on that storyline here. Uh, let's see. The um, – the dungeon itself is amazing. We uh, we collect a great new item in the form of the bomb bag and the digging mitts. Maybe not the most groundbreaking section of this game, but definitely a fun one. I concur completely. Cool. Well done. Thank you. All right. That has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, return next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, which we'll be covering uh, the next section of Skyward Sword, which is the Lanayru Desert and the Lanayru Mining Facility, which I'm uh, – man, it's just so excited to get into that one. I, I 
I remember that whole section of the game very fondly. Oh, the so. introduction of Time Stones is so fun. Yeah, no, I can't wait for that. I'm really jealous of, is, is it a Nintendo fangirl next week? Yes, it is. I, whenever you told me, hey, you want to be on for this week, I kind of was a week ahead. And I think she got probably the, the cool episode. I don't know. There was a lot to dig into with this one. Like, it was not a pushover section of the game. I think we got some good stuff. I concur. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, man, guys, this has been a fun time. Yeah. I mean, I've had a fantastic time. I always have fantastic time. And uh, thank you for the whiskey, Matt. Uh, what are we drinking tonight? So this is um, TX Whiskey Bottled and Bond, which I think you can only get in like a very few select places. I've only seen this at Perini Ranch over in Buffalo Gap, Texas, which is outside of Abilene. And I saw a bottle at Total Wine in Allen the other day. But yeah, TX Bottled and Bond, fantastic uh, bourbon. Um, if you have a chance to pick up a bottle of TX whiskey, um, it's pretty sweet, but you find the bourbon, it's very tasty. This was an unpaid ad for TX Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> we are not sponsored by TX Whiskey, unfortunately. Yeah. Firestone and Robertson, please uh, sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Mike, uh, it's been great having you on. Seriously, this has been a fun conversation. Uh, glad that we could finally make it happen. Yeah, me too. You know, feel free to have me on for another episode. Well, uh, love you guys. <laughs> well, there we go. Look at that. We got another recurring guest. Yeah. Ooh, dude, I just saw a falling star. Did you I see did that? too. No, wow. What the okay. fuck? I'm looking the wrong way. Yeah, no, it was behind Matt. Uh, he oh, really God missed out. Uh, yeah, we got cigars, whiskey, and fallen stars. Well, guys. so if there's anything that Zelda has taught me, it's that we now have until dawn to go find that star the piece. star piece so we can upgrade it, our gear. Yeah, before it disappears. Uh, guys, that's probably like over 100 miles away. No, we can make it. We can make it. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone have uh, Rivali's Gale? I mean, we if we could fly for some, <laughs> and then we just we, we pop out the the sailor and just <laughs> what what a magical note on which to end this here Zelda <laughs> podcast. Oh my gosh! All right, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreoncom Pod and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Skyward Sword Chapter 4, which includes the Leneru Desert and the Leneru Mining Facility. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod. Skyward Sword can be played in its original form on the Wii or the Wii U, or you can play, and honestly should play, the remastered HD version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we're playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, we'll catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.